God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. It was great to be back with you guys. Uh, we had a great trip to Israel, 34 of us uh, that went to Israel, and uh, it was hot. I can tell you that. Uh, we were uh, one day at the Dead Sea, uh, which is the lowest place on earth, and, and they market it that way. So like at the cafe, it says like lowest cafe on earth. At the bathroom, it says lowest bathroom on earth. And then there's a camel, and it says this is the lowest. We get it. It's the lowest place on earth. It was 116 degrees that day. No humidity, so it feels like 70, right? No, I'm just kidding. It's still 116 uh, degrees. But again, what a great trip. Our group was amazing. It really was great to get to know uh, many uh, who I knew but didn't know real well on this trip. And they represented the Lord, represented our church, uh, but represented the Lord. And it was a great trip. You know, great blessing to be able to go with my dad as well. We went six years ago, and so to be able to go back uh, and see some of the things that we saw, but also some new things uh, as well. And I just love the way the Lord works in the details. Like two years ago, this group uh, went with, uh, we have a group of them who went with Liberty Hampton uh, years ago, uh, two years ago to Israel. And it was the guide. It was really the guide that they got that was kind of like, okay, we want to go through this travel agency. We want to go through this group. We want to make sure we get this guide. Well, we arrive and we find out we didn't get the guide. Not only did we not get the guide, we thought we were getting the lady who trained the guide. We didn't get her either. She passes us off to this 29-year-old kid. I can say kid because I was 41 yesterday. So this 29-year-old kid hands us off. And so we're thinking, what, we get the JV team, right? We get the JV team. Like, what are we? Like, you know, and so it's amazing how God works in the details. This kid was a Messianic Jew, a Jewish believer who lives and was raised in the only Messianic Jewish community in the world, a kibbutz there in Jerusalem, the only one in the world. And so I asked him, I said, how many guides are there in Israel? When, you know, tourism is a big deal in Israel, obviously 15,000 guides, registered guides, and they take it very serious of of your permit and to make sure everything's up to date. You are fined $4,000 a person if, if you're caught leading any tours without having the proper identification. So again, if that's five people, you know, you just made quite the contribution to the building fund. So that's a lot of money, right? And so they take this very serious. And so this young man uh, went through the process six different times. It's made me like him more. He, and, and each time you have to wait six months to take the test again. Went through this three years. And I asked him, I said, okay, out of 15,000 guides, how many ballpark figure, would you say, are believers? Are Messianic Jews or non-Jews are just believers in Christ? He said, ballpark figure, what do you say, 50. So we added that up, obviously on the phone, because I can't do that in my head. What's the percentage of that? 0.28, Dan, is that what we came to? About 0.28%. One third of 1%. 0.28, that's 0.333%. Anyway, so yes, one third of 1%. You just just stumbled. I just, anyway, all right, here we go. What's the chances of that? So what happened was every step that we went to, it wasn't just history. Like it wasn't just, okay, here's history and here's, you know, the dates and the facts. He would connect the two. He would connect the old to the new. He would connect the old covenant to the new covenant. I mean, here I was again as as the pastor and I was getting messages like sermons, like I'm sitting there writing notes down because this guy was preaching at every one of these sites and it was such a blessing. And 
Again, I love how the Lord works in the details of things. And so it was a great trip, a life-changing trip. We're going to continue to send, send teams over there. Uh, and we will make sure that we get this guide. And even our bus driver, our bus driver told a bunch of jokes over the microphone. Uh, and once again, I was trying to write those down, but most of them were in Hebrew, so it wouldn't have made any difference anyway. <laughs> Um, but it probably goes right on with my jokes anyway. So it was great, uh, a great trip, but great to uh, be back. It was great spending time with our team, but also got to spend some time with Dan. Dan's on our, our building team over here. And so, you know, I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your patience in this building process. Things are moving. Things are working. Trust me, no one is sitting on their hands. And obviously with uh, a project this size, there's a lot of coordination involved. And so we're anticipating, and, and again, just the next coming weeks uh, for a foundation to be laid. But again, my thing is this, God's timing. Can I get an amen? God's timing. I don't want to go into that building a day early. I don't want to go into that building a day late. I want to go into that building when the Lord ordains for us to go into that building. And, and he's leading this thing, right? I mean, we can do all the planning we want to do, but ultimately the Lord's leading this process. And so I thank you for your prayers and your patience in that. Summer is coming quick. And so we've got all of our ministries gearing up, our children's ministry, uh, our student ministry, camps, mission trips, all of those things. A big event here in the life of our church is Vacation Bible School. Last week of June, uh, we'll have over 600, 700 kids uh, on this property for Vacation Bible School. And we always need help with this. Last week, I threw this out to you guys and you guys were quick to respond. What we need is we need group guides. Group guide basically means you get to go through VBS as an adult is what it means. You get to hang out with a group of kids and you're the one that leads them to their different stations. So you lead them to their missions uh, classroom. You lead them to their Bible classroom, to their music, whatever. You're the one that leads them and you have the same group every day. So you get to build relationships with these young people. There's training tonight at six o'clock and there's training next week at six o'clock as well. And I know, again, this will be a blessing to you. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 8. We're continuing, and we'll stay here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, next Sunday is Graduate Sunday. Pastor Caleb's going to be preaching out of Luke 8 a little bit further down. We'll take this really through the month of June. Uh, and then we've got really a, a, a really exciting new series coming in July. You'll hear more uh, about that in the coming weeks. Uh, but we're going to continue in Luke, at least for the next couple of weeks. And we're in chapter 8 this morning. And we kind of come to a transition passage, and you'll find this through Luke periodically, where the first three verses of chapter 8, you don't find a miracle, you don't find an incident, you don't find an event, you have a setting. Now, we see this back in chapter 4. If you remember back in chapter 4, there's the transition of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, and then there's the transition of now he begins his Galilean earthly ministry. It's kind of the first phase of his earthly ministry. We see that in chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, where it just says that he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, news went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in the synagogues. And so Luke just basically says, okay, here's the setting of what's happening. Now we come to Luke 8, this is kind of now the second phase. This is the second phase of his earthly ministry that will now lead to about chapter 9. It will lead to chapter 9, about verse 50, in which then that's the transition of Jesus making his way to Jerusalem. But the first three verses here, again, no miracle, no incident, no healing, but basically a summation of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see what he's doing. And I want you to take your Bibles and stand with me in reverence to reading God's word. I want you to see what Christ is doing, what he's preaching in just the very first verse first. Notice the group that goes with him as well. I love this. 
But verse 1, Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through, through 15 is really what we're going to focus on. We'll get to the parable in just a moment. But really the first three verses, let's read that to start to kind of lay the groundwork of what's happening here. It says this in verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings, bringing hope of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. So three groups, the disciples and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene. We got to go to Magdala, Magdala, where Mary is from. And therefore she gets the name Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Chusa is the manager in Herod's court. And so here is the wife of the manager of Herod's court. So again, kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Here was a demon-possessed lady, seven spirits, saved by Christ. Here is a lady kind of upper middle class who even works in a, a social setting that's kind of a higher setting there. And then Susanna. We know nothing about Susanna. No other mention of her in the Bible. Just this one time. And many others, so there's many others who provided for the work of the ministry. It's kind of the picture of the church. Many others who helped provide resources for the preaching of the gospel. It says that many others who provided for him from their uh, substance. Join with me as we go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, well, we thank you that we can open your word this morning. Lord, I thank you, uh, the great privilege you gave myself, our team, to go and walk, uh, Lord, in in these paths. Lord, the, the same setting that we're even reading here this morning. Lord, it brings to life uh, these passages. Uh, Lord, this, these things aren't fables. But Lord, this is history. His story, your story, this is history. And so, Lord, we thank you that as we open your word, Lord, even physically we can go and see even confirmation of the truth that we find in your word this morning. But Lord, we know that as we work through this parable, it's a parable about the heart. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that you would open our hearts. And as we see the parable of of good soil, Lord, that is our prayer, that that the truth of your word would fall in good soil, our hearts. But, Lord, we know that many times that soil that is good has to be broken up. Many times you have to break our hearts. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the brokenhearted. And so, Lord, this morning we pray whatever work you need to do in our hearts and our lives that your truth would not fall on rocky soil, that your truth would not fall on soil that is gathered in weeds, that your truth would not fall, Lord, upon barren soil, but that it would fall in good soil, and that there would be quite the harvest of fruit in our lives. For your glory and for your honor, we pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So before I left, I had a gentleman in our 8 o'clock service send me an an email. I didn't get to it until I got back. And he said, hey, I'm speaking in front of a group of I think engineers or something, he said, uh, I'd like a joke to tell up front. I'm like, you're asking me? Like, that is, I'm so honored. But I didn't get it till after I got home. And so uh, he, I, I, he got my uh, response back, I guess, the, the automatic response. And he sent back, he said, hey, no worries. I found a joke and I told it. And he told me the joke in the email. And it was far better than any joke I could have ever given him. So can I tell you this morning the joke? If you have an issue with it, I'll give you his email address at the end of the service. So this is what it says. Why should you knock upon the refrigerator door? Because you might see the salad dressing. That's so bad. I'm sorry. All right. I didn't tell it. He told it. I just passed it along. 
So, 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 so why did the scarecrow, here's the last one. We're going to get to God's word in a minute, but I, I, I got to, to, to make up for that one there. I told you this one a while ago. Some of you haven't heard this one of my favorite ones. Why did the scarecrow get a promotion? His supervisors came and they found him to be outstanding in his field. <laughs> outstanding in his field. Y'all are a bunch of Russian judges. All right, Luke 8. So what is he preaching? Look at verse one. He's preaching the gospel, right? Every setting, what do you find? Jesus preaching the gospel. And listen, that is great. Uh, uh, it's a great requirement for us as a church, as believers, to preach the gospel, to not water down the gospel, to make sure that whatever the message is, that regardless of whether we're in Genesis, Revelation, Luke, Malachi, I don't care, that it all comes back to the gospel. That my prayer is that every single Sunday, that whether you walk in the doors because you came, because your mom invited you, or you came because you've got a friend being baptized, regardless, I don't believe it's random, I don't believe it's a coincidence, I pray that you hear the gospel. That yes, God loves you, but we gotta get you the bad news before you get to the good news. You're a sinner, just like me, just like all of us. For all sin and fallen short of the glory of God, there's no amount of religion, there's no amount of ceremony, there's no amount of morality that can bridge the gap between us, our sins, and he, a holy God. What is the good news? What is he proclaiming? Glad tidings of hope. What is the hope? That Christ has come to do it, that Christ bridges the gap, that he who was holy, he who was guiltless, died for those who weren't holy and died for the guilty. That's the good news. Listen, in Israel, man, I'm telling you, one of the things I walked away with was the amount of blindness, that there are people working really hard that are a lot more diligent than me a lot more disciplined than me, a lot more religious than me, and they're working really, really hard to have a relationship with God. And they're missing. The one way we have a relationship with God is through his son. We don't have to work for that. Yes, it requires a response, what repentance and faith, to turn from our sins and to pro proclaim Jesus as our savior, but that is the central message. The central message is hope. The central message for the non-believer is that, hey, in Christ there is hope, that even in my shame and my guilt and my past, there is hope that I can have eternal life, that it doesn't just fall on me. There's hope in that. There's hope as believers knowing that even in tragedy, as we saw two days ago, there's hope knowing that our God still sits upon his throne. There's hope in knowing that even in the darkest times, God's light is going to still shine through. That there's something beyond what we can see with our five senses that God is doing, eternally speaking. There's hope in that. Whether we see it ourselves or not, that even in the chaos and the struggles of our lives, even in the pain that many of you walked in with, whether it was physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual pain that you walked in with that maybe no one else even knows about, there's hope. It's not separate outside of what God's doing in your life. It's a part of it. It's not a random thing that we go through these storms. The Lord leads us into them. Because what? As we see with the work of the disciples through the storm, as we see in the book of Job, there are things that he wants to do in it and through it that he could not do otherwise. There's hope in that. That I may not see the answer right here in this moment, but there's hope in knowing that as long as it falls on good soil, man, there's change that can take place. The title of the message is Search My Heart, and we have this parable. He basically gives us four categories, is what we find. Four categories of where truth may fall, and every one of us can fall into one of these four categories. In this room, I would dare to say that all four categories are represented. When truth is spoken, and what you find out about this parable is not about the sower. It's not the one speaking truth, or preaching truth. It's not about the sower. 
It's not even about the seed. The seed is God's word, and we know that in the explanation of this parable, but the entire parable is about the soil. And the soil represents what? It represents the heart. So when truth is spoken, when truth is read, what kind of soil does it fall on? It speaks to our hearts. Does it fall on a hard soil where it's immediate rejection, and we've all met people like that? Does it fall on rocky soil, which is a shallow heart? Does it fall on a soil that is filled with weeds and thorns? What is that a picture of? A materialistic heart, a worldly heart that is more consumed with the things of this world than the things of God. Or does it fall on good soil? And that's really the fourth thing that he gives to us. So let's walk through this passage. Look at what he says here in verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered, they had come to him from every city. He spoke by parable. Para means the word alongside. And so we know that a parable is when Jesus takes stories and he lines things up alongside of each other, right? Comparison and contrast to speak a spiritual truth. Now, it's important when we kind of try to define a parable that we don't mix parables, You know, as you're trying to look through a parable and say, okay, what is the spiritual truth here? We have to take each one individually. So let's take this one individually. Look at verse five. He gives us four types of soil, five, six, seven, and eight. A soil went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Roadside soil. It's a picture of a hardened heart, verse five. Verse six, superficial heart, rocky soil. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Then the next one, you have a soul full of thorns, a worldly heart. Verse 7, some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up, and with it, it choked it out. Then he talks about an open heart, a receptive heart, good soil. Verse 8, but others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. So let's, first of all, identify what this is not about. This is not about losing your salvation. Some people will take this passage and see there were some that, that, that were of the Lord and then they fell away. No, there's a four categories given. And the first three is a description of a non-believer. The first three is a description of someone that maybe on the outside you see something happening, but there's no roots. Therefore, there is no true fruit in their lives. The fourth category is the picture of a believer. And again, good soil must what? Be broken up, right? Anyone who does any farming knows that. You've got to break up the soil. And listen, that's not always a fun process, not only when it comes to farming, but especially in our lives. Sometimes for that seed to get down and for those roots to be established, what? It's got to fall on broken soil, a heart that God has to break. His disciples desired to understand what he's saying. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, then the disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? And he said to them, to you has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Just fathom that statement right there that he's making to his disciples. Just think about that for a moment. To you, he says, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God that those for hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of years have been blinded by. But now in the new covenant, now in the gospel, the good news, a savior who has come to this earth, to you, you have been chosen to now receive the mysteries of God. But to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. The word mystery does not mean some mystical understanding of God. It basically means this, spiritual truth hidden in the Old Testament that now is revealed in the New Covenant in the New Testament in Christ. The end of verse 10, he says, but to the rest it is given in parables, and he quotes Isaiah 6, 9, seeing that they may not see and hearing that they may not understand, that they are blinded by the truth of even this parable. So what does it mean? Let's walk through it. Look at verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. 
And so what you find in this parable, right, it's not so much about the sower. It's not so much about the seed. The seed is identified as the word of God, the same word of God that I have, the same word of God that you have. The parable is about the soil in which it falls. I think about what he says about the seed there, right? I go back to 1 Peter 1.22, and you'll remember this verse. It says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23 says this, having been born again, how are we born again? Not of a corruptible seed, but a seed that is incorruptible, which is what? The word of God, which lives and abides forever. That's why my prayer every Sunday is that what you hear is the word of God. Yes, some bad jokes, but the word of God predominantly. Because listen, I'll be honest with you, I'm not even interested in Heath's opinions and ideas. I've heard them my whole life and they're not that great. I'll just tell you that. I want to know what God has to say. Amen. I want to know what God's word has to say because Heath's words return void. Can I get an amen? Is my wife in here? She's not in here. So let me just hear y'all say amen. Amen. My words return void. You know what the promise is? God's word does not return void. And so listen, I'm wasting time if I'm just here telling you what I think and my ideas and my opinions. Listen, there's no promise in that type of statement. The promise is in the fact that God's word, God's truth, God's seed does not return void. So the question is this, what type of soil does it fall? How receptive are we to these spiritual truths that ultimately should result in life change? The seed is the word of God. The soil is the heart. How does the heart receive the word of God? He gives us these categories. He first of all talks about a hardened heart. Look at verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Again, context of what's happening here. 2,000 years ago, there's no pavement. There's no concrete, right? And so as you're making your way through Israel, which is not a big area, but it's, it's a lot of elevation. And as you're making your way through, you're cutting through fields is really what you're doing. So the farmers would kind of cut out like a three-foot walking path, basically. So you walk, and that was for them, too, in the harvesting of crops. But that's how you made your way to different places. And so that's the picture here of, of a hardened soil. It's been, it's been pressed down. The sun has beaten down on it. There is no possibility for a root to be established because it's hardened. Have you ever met anyone like this? Maybe some of you in here like this. It's the immediate rejection of God's word. The immediate reject, organized religion. That's not what this is about, by the way. Hey, if that's the crutch you need in your life to make you feel better, you do your thing. I've heard that before from people close to me. A hardened heart, a heart that says, you know what, you know, I, I ain't got no need for that. It's man-made, it's man-written, and all that stuff is just for man's glorification, really. But as you start to read this book, what you find is it couldn't have come from a man because it counters everything that comes to us naturally. It's a book written by the Lord through the hands of man. But it's the immediate rejection. What does he say? That's the picture here, roadside soil. It's the picture here where the seed has been scattered, but it's falling on a hardened path. Look at the next one, verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word of joy. These have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. What does the Bible say? The Bible says we are known by our what? We are known by our fruit. We're not known by just making a, a prayer. We're not known by just going into the waters of baptism. How do we fully know? How does the world know that we belong to the Lord? Fruit. There'll be fruit in our lives. It doesn't mean we don't stumble. It doesn't mean we don't fall away. It doesn't mean those things. But a child of God, there will be fruit. You will find obedience in the life of the child of God. You'll find it. 
But what is this picture of? This is a picture of not of little chunks of rock. That's not what the picture of. Any good farmer would remove all those things immediately. What this is a picture of is the rock bed. Over there, right, we saw it. That it's all elevation. So as you're planting your crops, you know, many would plant upon the grass that seems like good soil, but about three feet underneath is a rock bed. And so what is the picture of? The picture of, okay, the roots may go down, but it stops, right? There's no moisture. There's nowhere for it to go. Therefore, what seemed to be life really isn't life. It's the picture of a superficial heart is what it is. They may have a religious experience and there may even be emotion and, emotion and great joy, but there's no fruit in their lives. There's no change in their lives. There's no difference in them. He's telling his disciples, listen, understand that as you share the gospel, as you preach hope, it's not about the majority coming. It's going to be the minority that comes. I mean, the Bible says narrow, right? Narrow is the gate. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, and that's the path that most of the world travels, but narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. And so he's preparing even them that, listen, as you're proclaiming truth, as you're proclaiming hope, there are going to be some that immediately reject it. That's a hardened heart. There's going to be some that may even, like these disciples, right? We talk about the thousands of people that are following them, but we know that there were many who had not placed their faith in Christ. They were just coming for the show. They were coming for the miracles. They were coming for the food. Matter of fact, you go back to John 6, right? That's the feeding of the 5,000. You find it's a great, you know, I believe one of the greatest miracles Jesus accomplished. You find it in all four of the Gospels. You know, 5,000, really, that was the men. So we know there was over 20,000 people there. The miracle was not accomplished, and this is a separate sermon. The miracle was not accomplished. It was placed in the hands of Jesus. The problem, placed in the hands of Jesus, now, miracle performed. But what you find is the next day, John 6, 66, and 67. The people are hungry. They want food. Jesus isn't feeding them physically. It was all a lesson. He's talking about yearning for righteousness, hungering for him as the bread of life. And the Bible says that there were many that were not even interested in that, and they turned and they walked away. It's that same picture. It's a picture that says, hey, as long as Jesus can do what I think Jesus should do for me, I'll follow him. If he can fix my marriage and get me a job, I'll follow him. But the moment it doesn't look like the way I think it should look, I'm out of here. That's the picture of this type of heart. A roadside soil, rocky soil. And then he says in verse 14, soil full of thorns. Look at what he says here. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. So here's the picture of someone who is in the world. Their lives consume with the world, pleasures of the world, the pride of life, possessions of the world. And because of that, what? What do we find here? We find that because of sin, because of the presence of sin, because of the pride of life, it is crowded out. God's truth is choked out by these materialistic things. 1 John 2, 5 says, 2, 15 says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's not talking about don't love the physical things of the world. That's not what he's talking about. That's God's creation. He's talking about the world's philosophy, the world's direction. Do not be conformed, what, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What kind of soil resides within our hearts? What kind of soil receives truth? What is the seed? The seed is the truth of God's word. Is this something that we yearn for every single day? Is it not just a Sunday morning thing, but is it a Monday thing and a Tuesday thing to say, Lord, I need truth in my life because lies are flowing. I'm being lied to by my own emotions. I'm being lied to by my flesh. I'm being lied to by this world. I need truth to counter me, to sustain me, to point me in the right direction because understand when truth is not being received, 
received, when it's not falling on good soil, the lies do not, do not stop. They come, I believe, even more from the enemy. And how easy it is for those lies to stick. And all of a sudden, we have a different lens that we're looking through. The God that we see through our struggles and through our tragedies is different because we're not looking through the lens of truth. So he says, good soil. Look at what it says in verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, get this, with a noble heart. It means an honest heart and a good heart. A noble heart, an honest heart. And when you're honest with yourself, there's some pretty overwhelming spiritual truths that hit you, right? When you're honest with yourself. When you're honest with yourself and you really begin to think about what do I deserve from God? It's a pretty overwhelming statement. I've heard people say God's not fair, and I'll tell you right now, I stand behind this pulpit to tell you I'm thankful that God's not fair. If God was fair, we'd all be in trouble because there's nothing in us that is righteous, is what the Bible says. But in spite of us, right? What is hope? In spite of us, in spite of our sins, and in spite of us being in Adam and being in the depths of our sins, Christ loved us, and he came and he died for us. That's hope. Good soil. It's when God breaks up the ground. Let's be real. That's not always a fun thing. But Before these truths, man, can be planted in us, what happens? God's got to dig up the, the, the gunk. The weeds chokes out life, the rock, a hardened soil, so that the seed of his word, the truth of his word can get below the surface and that those roots can run deep. And as they run deep, there's a great harvest, right? We are known by our fruit. And he says, you'll be able to tell. Look at the end of verse 15, having heard the word with a noble, honest, and good heart. What does it say? They will keep it. And bear fruit with patience. You see this all throughout God's word, the perseverance of the saints. It doesn't mean that we don't trip or stumble. That's not what it means. But you will find perseverance in the life of a child of God. And what I love about this is the word patience means to be up under. So think about the picture that Jesus is painting there. Perseverance, faith, fruit, even when you're up under whatever it is that's above you. Even when you're up under of the weight of what you're dealing with, the Bible says there will still be fruit. There will still be perseverance. There's hope in that. Psalm 40 is one of those passages that I often go back to. It's a passage that has great truth, but it's a passage that David is writing, uh, not only at a time that he's running for his life, but I believe he's battling great depression in this passage of Scripture. And he claims some amazing truths in this passage as he talks about the God that pulls him out of the mud, the miry clay, sets his feet upon a rock. And he says in that passage, I will wait patiently for you. Even up under, I will wait patiently for you. And then he refers to God this way, that you are my hope and you are my deliverer. Listen, you want to hear? Here, let's let's let the seed hit some good soil this morning. Our God is our hope and he is our deliverer. What does that mean? That, hey, he may not have delivered me yet. I'm still up under whatever it is I'm up under. But you know what? My hope is in the one who has promised to deliver me. 
He has promised to deliver me. He's not going to be late. He's not going to be early. So I will wait patiently because my hope is in the one who is over even the thing that is over me. He has control over it. Right? This the storm on Galilee. These disciples thought it was going to take them under. They were there because Jesus sent them there. They were exactly where God wanted them to be. But the thing that they thought was going to kill them was under the feet of Jesus. There is Jesus standing on the Sea of Galilee. We were there. We saw it. We didn't see Jesus or the storm, but we were on the Sea of Galilee. And there is Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, what? Standing over with authority the thing that those disciples thought was going to be the end of them. And guess what? He was the one that brought it to them because there was something he wanted to do in their lives that he could not do otherwise. Good soil. It's not, Lord, I reject this, I hate this, I'm bitter towards this, I'm mad towards this, I'm running away. That's not good soil. Good soil is, Lord, I don't like this, this is hard. But I will wait patiently for you. Because my hope is in you who's in control and my deliverer. There will come a day, whether on this side of eternity or the other side, where we will be delivered from the baggage of this world. No more tears, no more suffering, no more shame. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen? But in the moment, we rest in the hope. And the Bible says what? Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, glory in tribulation. What? Rejoice in tribulation. How can we rejoice in tribulation? Good soil, the seed hits good soil. We rejoice because we know that our tribulation is not just random. It's not just separate. No, we know that our tribulation produces something. It produces perseverance. Perseverance leads to character. Character leads to hope. And guess what? Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, who lives within me. Listen, the Spirit of God is not in that wall there in Jerusalem. The Spirit of God lives within us. We as believers, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hope. Hope. Whatever you're in this morning, hope and my deliverer. There we head bowed in the The gospel message, I pray you hear it first and foremost. And I pray this morning that that message falls on good soil. There's truth in this. We will all stand before our creator. Just take a moment and think that. We will. It's not going to be, man, did you treat others the way that you wanted? It's it's not going to be a checkbox of religion. It's not. It's going to be Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with the one who died in your place? Did you surrender to the one who was a substitute for your sins? It's going to be Jesus, bottom line. So regardless of the passage, regardless of the message, my hope and prayer every Sunday, every Saturday, if there's someone who walks in the doors of this place who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you've got to know the bad news first. Your greatest problem is my greatest problem. And it's our problem of sin. There's nothing we can do ourselves to fix that. It's the bad news that leads you to the good news. Christ did it for us. So this isn't about a religion. This is about God's son. And came and did what we can't do. Live a life that met the standards of a holy God. Sinless, perfect, holy. And the guiltless died in the place of the guilty. And the transference of that, right? Not only Christ took my sins, but now his righteousness, his holiness, and his Holy Spirit lives within me. 
You and I can't live the life that God has called us to live. So what must we do? We must die to ourselves so that he can do it in us. It's good soil. Lord, even in my questions, may your truth not fall on rocky soil. May it not fall on a hardened patch. May it not fall where there's thorns and thistles and weeds of this world. May it fall where you have tilled the ground. You have broken my heart. I am broken. Blessed are the poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt. And I lay my life before you with a hope, not only of eternity, but of the now, of what you want to do. I invite you to stand right where you are, if you would. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you praise for who you are. We thank you for the hope that is found in Christ. And Lord, I pray if there's one here who that truth has not penetrated, Lord, their hearts and established roots that, Lord, even right now, that they would cry out in brokenness. The name of Jesus. Repentance and faith, that they would turn from their sins and proclaim a Savior to believers in this place. Lord, search our hearts. May the truth of your word be something we run to daily. And may it find itself in good soil, honest soil, noble soil, a receptive heart. And Lord, may you produce what it is you want to produce in us. For your glory and your honor, we pray it. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.